Welcome to Live Mike, Best of TPL Conversations, our regular Toronto Public Library podcast series featuring curated discussions and interviews with some of today's best-known and yet-to-be-known writers, thinkers, and artists recorded on stage at one of Toronto Public Library's 100 branches. So I wanted to start with, we'll get to the book in a minute, but I wanted to start with Broad City. Um, it's been just a few months since the, the final episode um, aired, mm-hmm. um, and maybe sort of five months since you actually wrapped production. Um, so I, how, how have you been dealing with this chapter of your work life coming to a close? Yeah, you know, it's been a, a, a very bizarre time. Uh, usually after we're finished airing a season, we have... Or, producing a season, we have this hiatus in between. So this is very much the usual. You know, I can work on other projects and all this, but I know, like, we will begin again. And so I'm in that time, and I just now, I'm like, okay, we won't begin again. So it doesn't feel, I don't think I really feel it yet. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I'm just trying to, like, work on other things, see what sticks. Mm -hmm. Um, This past week, I went on a mini Alana Glazer tour, uh, which was very fun. Uh, she just did... Like as a groupie, or...? Well, I wanted to be there. I wanted to be... Yeah, she was on a tour, like an actual stand-up tour. I wasn't just following her around. Um, but I would. Uh, <laughs> she did a tour around, like, I think the south uh, of the U.S., and it ended in her taping a special that will be on Amazon. And so I went to the last two dates. And so... I mean, we're very, it just makes me happy that I can go and support her and that we're still, you know, working together, even if we're not, if, even if it's just supporting each other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And how did, um, how did you and Alana come to the decision to wrap it up after, after the five seasons on Comedy Central? Yeah, we, you know, we, we knew how it would end for a little while. We knew, I don't want to, like, Am I spoiling it for anybody? I mean, it was March, so it was I feel March. like people need to catch it up. If they're behind, yeah, seen it. <laughs> what are they even doing here? <laughs> so we knew that I was going to go to this artist residency, or Abby. It's hard for me to differentiate. Um, was going to go to this uh, this artist residency for a long time, and we knew that, that that's how it would end. Um, we didn't know exactly how it would get there, and. It was after we had aired season four and we were in this hiatus period in between and we just started to feel like this, uh, this is like feels right. And it feels like we're, it's at a point where people are still loving the show. We don't ever want to like cross over where people are like, why is this still on the air? And also the more we really like got into it, the more, you know, it's a really about your 20s in New York. And so my character is a little older than Alana's in real life and on the show. And um, we felt like birthdays were always a big deal on the show. And so Abby turning 30 and really making that arc the last season uh, for her was was the way to go. And it just felt so right. And it, 
I really give it to Comedy Central because it was not supposed to end in five seasons, uh, and we they were con we were contracted longer? for for longer. Oh wow! And they really um, let us let us creatively end, which I don't think a lot of networks would have done. Um, and over the arc of the series, I mean, it actually started even five years earlier. Yeah, we started in 2009. Yeah, as, 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 as webisodes on, like mm -hmm. web series on YouTube. But as the series went on, I mean, it, 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 it always had it, but this kind of fantastic, um, like, weirdness and kind of this kind of fun sort of stoner energy. It was never earnest. It might have been moving, but it was never sort of earnest. And yet, towards the end, um, you know, particularly after... 2016, um, or, or in 2016, um, there began some of the politics and I think the real life context for the characters of Alana and the character of, of Abby sort of crept in. And I wonder if you could talk a bit about um, why you made the choice. I mean, Hillary Clinton came on the, the, the show, for instance, mm -hmm. and why the two of you made that choice to... Um, you know, let the real world intrude a little bit in, in the universe that you had created? Yeah, um, I mean, early on, I mean, we, it started as sort of a sliver of this, these sketches of the, the characters, and they were, and even early on in the TV version, it, it was always this feeling of these two are out in the city, and, and some of the shitty things they're experiencing are blown up. So, you know, there's a lot of, we would do it a lot in cold opens and we call them pop outs, which is like the bank scene where I do an illustration and we're like, <laughs> it's like, it's, it's trying to, <laughs> trying to like show visually how you feel. Mm -hmm. And so there's another one where we're like having a, we're having like a, a, a dueling drum thing, mm -hmm. but we're just playing the drums in a music store. But it's like, how do you feel when you're doing that yeah. is actually like a heightened version. Mm -hmm. And then we, you pop out and you're in the, like the guys like get the fuck out of here. <laughs> and that's just, that was just how we felt living in New York for, for a, a long time. And that's kind of where we based a lot of the, the little nuggets for the show. And then I feel like there were always little pieces of us commenting on the world around us and things we cared about. But it was after the election, um, we, it was, we had written, I think it was, Season four, yeah. So we had written season four before the election and uh, went on this hiatus, but we knew actually after the election, we, Alana and I were coming back to, to rewrite a couple of things anyway. And when we came back, it was November, it was literally the week after the election and it was all we could talk about. And it, it was devastating. I mean, I feel like if it was like devastating here a little, it was really <laughs> devastating there. We were like, what, what, what the fuck? And um, we have an actual, like, reality game show host as the president. It was like, <laughs> still, it's still happening. I don't know. Uh, so it was like, it was just this organic thing that it couldn't not be in the show. And it, it you know, there's one episode, which is that we really went into it, which was Alana not being able to orgasm since the election. And that was really, I think that actually happened to a lot of people, literally, and also like, <laughs> but it was also just like, the, it's, again, it's the feeling of like, even like experiencing joy, like stuff was like, everyone was just like, you know, and so we really went for it in that episode. But over over four, when we rewrote it, we infused certain things. Um, like there was a cold open where we are escorting 
um, a young woman into an abortion clinic. And that was written before, but holds, it, I mean, it really holds more meaning now, but it, it just felt more meaningful and significant that we do that then. And, and yeah, I, that was the, you asked, yeah. I answered it, right? Yes, you did, <laughs> you did, you did. Um, uh, there was this uh, uh, terrific uh, Grantland profile of Unalana in 2015 um, when the two of you told uh, the writer Rachel Syme that you credited your success to the fact that um, you always presented yourself in meetings as an unbreakable partnership. Um, and then Alana had said, some people are scared of us and some think we are dumb little girls, but the way we combat that is being ourselves in meetings and having a partner makes that so easy because when all else fails, I'll just talk across the table at Abby like we are chilling by ourselves. <laughs> and um, I thought that was so significant to, I mean, there are so many creative people for whom you know, a partnership is not a welcome thing, that they want, they don't, they don't want to collaborate, they're not interested in, in sort of, you know, a shared vision with mm -hmm. somebody else. Um, and so I wanted to ask you what it was like to have this creative partnership, this sort of, you know, decade-long creative partnership with somebody, and how did that enable you to grow as an artist and, and find a voice through this partnership? Yeah, I feel very lucky to have found Alana and, and sort of built this thing together, and so, yeah, in, as it says in the book, we met in 2007 and did improv together. We were the only two women on the team. And then we both were struggling with getting on anything. Like we couldn't, we, we just weren't successful at this, at the theater that we were at. And we realized that our friendship was just different than any of our other friendships. There was just like this dynamic and support. Uh, and then so we started doing the web series, but simultaneously, we were always doing our own thing. So Alana was always doing stand-up, which leads to her special. <laughs> uh, that I just, and then I was always doing kind of more characters, sketch stuff. Um, and that has always existed throughout the whole thing. So we've always been, like Broad City has sort of been our priority, but we've always done separate projects, uh, always written individually and the core partnership really allowed those individual voices to shine too because I think we needed that uh, like base structure to hold it there. And you know, there's no one else that has a more parallel timeline than her. And so now we can kind of confide in each other these other things going on, like no one else can kind of understand. Um, but I mean, I haven't, I haven't heard, heard that Rachel Syme interview in quite some time, but is interesting, I have, I'm doing this other project right now and it's me. And I am working with someone else but it still feels like I'm alone on it. And it was, I had a call like two days ago and I was, I was one of those versions that Alana said where I was like, whew, this would have been way easier with, with like her next to me because I was like, they either think I'm such an asshole right now or I'm an idiot. And it's still, it's still very much there. I'd, I'd prefer the asshole, but who knows? <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think the thing that, um, you know, could never be stated enough is the fact that, you know, you were two young women in your 20s, and you didn't just sell this idea and let somebody else produce it. You created it. You executive produced this. I mean, in, in any of the profiles of the two of you during the Broad City period, what gets underlined again and again is how hard the two of you worked and how every single detail 
um, you were on top of. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about the factors for your success. Like, what was in place, um, whether it was in, in your individual temperaments, or did you find the right people who allowed you to have this, this vision and this project? Um, I definitely think that the team around us, like any show or film, that I think you can tell. I mean, maybe not, maybe there are some some films that you hear about like behind the scenes and it's, it was like terrible and you're like, but the film is incredible. I don't know, I think with comedy, you can tell. Like, it felt like a family, the, what, what we, uh, we had going. And, and a lot of the people that were kind of chosen to be our department heads were chosen by our production, my, our production company, Jax, and, and so they kind of knew us and knew who to pick for us. And some people changed, some people, get out. But um, <laughs> for the most part, a lot of people were with us the entire five years, and I think that's kind of rare in the New York television world. And, but at, on top of that, you know, Alana and I were extremely micromanagey. Um, and it, I, I think micromanagey, but also wanting collaboration. So, like, everyone from the props to the set designers to casting, it was all about, like, okay, we want this, but you are, please bring us your ideas, please. Like, I think that that's, when people are, are given that opportunity, they rise to meet it, um, instead of being, I think that door has to be open first. And, yeah, I think we really did, yeah, it was a, an exhausting, but, like, lovely experience joyous ride. Yeah. Um, and at the time, you know, you had, you know, done this web series, these short little, like short little clips that were on YouTube. And, um, you know, and it was quite unusual um, at that time to move from, you know, creating content for, you know, a platform like YouTube to actually getting your own show. Um, I think, you know, Issa Rae was making that um, transition mm -hmm. with Awkward Black Girl to Insecure around the same time. And then High Maintenance came later. Um, and I think what we're also seeing, and I mean, the, the, the platforms like YouTube allowing creators that might not get a foot in the door yep. otherwise. Um, and I think what we're seeing now maybe is some of the, 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 the fruit of that, that work. So, uh, you know, aside from uh, Issa Rae, there's also uh, Tanya Siracho who created Vita, uh, Lauren Morelli, who was a writer on Orange is the New Black, and she was the showrunner for the new uh, Tales of the City mm -hmm. reboot on Netflix. Um, and these these um, these creators, um, you know, women, women of color, queer women, um, you know, are also bringing in writers' rooms that are more inclusive and diverse, and bringing in production teams that are more inclusive and diverse. Um, do you feel that this is like a permanent transformation in film and television? Um, do you think the seed has been properly planted for there to be more? diversity in creators and more inclusiveness in writers' rooms? I, I do. I mean, it's hard to say because I still feel like there's so much more to do and so much more to change in that aspect, but um, I do. Uh, you know, Alana and I, were, were, we were a little bit sheltered in our creative experience. We were in New York and most TV and film is in LA and we were a little out of the business. Um, but it definitely is the more diverse, yeah, the more diverse creators that are given the reins, the more diverse and everyone below them will be. 
And that is without a doubt. So yeah, I, I do think it is changing, but I still also think that there's endless stories of people being like, well, there's already one gay show on our network, so. Well, there's already one black show on the network, so I can't do anything about it. And it's like, I think you can. What are we talking about? Like, it truly is every, every other, there can only be like one or two, but it's never like, we already got our straight white man show. We can't do it. It's like truly not never been spoken, but that is like, there are a lot of those. Yeah. Um, yeah, I actually, where was I? I was online. <laughs> I was on the plane yesterday. I was, I was like, what screen was I on? That's where I visit mostly. And I was looking at like the TV shows on the plane. Mm -hmm. Guys, Air Canada is dope. Yeah. Like, I don't know if that, I've been on like a nicer flight. Our show was on yeah. the TV. That's not never a thing. Truly, I've never seen Broad City on a plane. I was like, I didn't watch it. I was going to say, did you? Up. That'd be fucked up. Can you imagine if you were like, they're watching their own show? Didn't do it. Maybe on the way back, right? Um, but I was scrolling and I was like, fuck. Like, there were, you know, there's all these rebooted shows or there were, like, where the cast is just white people. And I am a white person. So I'm like, easy for me to say. But it's just like, it still is so, like, every so often mm -hmm. you get that. So there are just thousands of shows now. So I think there's more diversity, but there's a lot. I, I just think there's a lot more to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was another uh, interview right at the end, back in March, right as the, as the, as the show was wrapping up with um, Dave Itzkoff at uh, the New York Times. And, New York uh, Times is a big, it's a big interview. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I, yeah, <laughs> I just wanted to drop that in. Um, and, uh, no big deal, whatever. <laughs> and the two of you were talking about um, the queerness of the show. Yeah. And you had said, I feel like our show has been so queer from the get-go. And then Alana said, you know, queerer than we knew, behind the scenes, in front of the cameras. Everyone who works with us has gotten queerer and queerer in the past <laughs> six years. Um, so how queer did it get? <laughs> Rachel. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think um, what we meant, I, th I said the first line. <laughs> yeah, you said the first line. What I said the first line. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What I meant and what Alana and I have just like talked about the, the show being queer is just, I think, like, it was always seen as queer too, even the way we were friends. Yeah. Um, but but the friend, <laughs> the, like, take that back, delete that. Uh, but um, even just like the uh, you know Jaime is based on my real best friend Jaime from college and Alana's two best friends from college and the even just that's the beginning of the uh, TV show, but even the web series, I don't know what it was. I think just our mentality, whether it was like really out there on the surface or not, was always attempting to be very inclusive. And I think that we've probably, um, you know, probably tripped up a little bit with that, but every once in a while, but that was always our intention to be as inclusive as possible. And as the years went, went on, you know, Alana Wexler is, is obviously like the 
like the most fluid, the most, you know, she's so fluid that she's like homophobic. I'm not kidding. But she is so, she is so anti-racist that sometimes she does border on racism. But it's always coming from like good intention. Like it's never, um, I'm just repeating like an actual line from the show. I, do, I watched it on the plane, whatever. Um, but... So Alana has always been like that, uh, been so open, and and I think the the she that was like a joke, which is it became queerer than we thought, but which is me uh, in real life, but um, also crew members too, sort of like started to be like, yeah, I, I'm dating a woman now, and we're like <laughs> truly multiple, like multiple main crew members, just sort of like. Sort of realized that part of themselves. It was it was wonderful. Right. Yeah. It's like a recruitment project. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Type it up. Yeah. We were we were out there on the streets. Come on in. <laughs> no, I think when you're, I think just because the space and the crew right. and the set was so, like even the straight dudes on set, like just their mentality became queer and they just became more aware of, of queer people. And, and so they were, you know, like it was just like a very loving set. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to get to the book. Um, no, I don't want to. <laughs> I, guess I, I know. I, well, I feel like the queer thing was the nice segue yep. into into the book, um, because as you as you write um, near the beginning, um, for the longest time you saw yourself <laughs> as someone who um, couldn't fall in love. You dated, you hooked up, you had crushes, but no big relationships. Yeah. And even at one point, you had a friend who said that she couldn't imagine you ever with someone because you mm -hmm. were too set in your ways. Yeah, my best friend. Yeah. Yeah. You know what is funny? She won't watch this. Um, I don't think she's read the book. Oh, no. She, she has read the book? She I don't, don't think, think she so. Has. Okay. And this is so, I'm like sharing this. Mm -hmm. um, another friend told her about that. Like another mm. friend knew it was her. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was like, did you, did you read Abby's book? And then, yeah, I don't think she even knows she said it. Huh. It's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting when someone like doesn't know they like really impacted you with yeah. a line. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, can you talk a bit about how that landed on you to have someone assess you that way? Well, I think the thing was that to her, this is not. This is a different best friend. This isn't Alana. That'd be like crazy. <laughs> um, uh, I think to her it wasn't an insult. I don't know how, but I think it was more like. You're so independent. Like, yeah. I can never, I don't know. There's a part of it that's like, it's got to be. But yeah. um, it was, yeah. I mean, she said it so long ago. Mm -hmm. It really stuck with me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then when you did fall in love, deep, deep love for the first time, it was with a woman. Mm -hmm. And um, up until that point, you had kind of been open to the idea that, that, that you could be attracted to a woman, but you hadn't sort of pursued that attraction. Um, and uh, you write that, you know, looking back, uh, you wish that you'd, you said, I wish I'd questioned myself in the world I grew up in more. And another point in the book, you say that you regret not having hooked up with a woman in art school. Um, 
um, where everyone hooked up with the, every, I think everyone hooked up with the girl in art school except for you, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. What, what the fuck? Right. I truly am like, was that the, is that my mic? No, I think it's a, like a oh. motorcycle or something. No, I truly am like, what a waste of fucking time. <laughs> what was I doing? Yeah. I'm, I'm, mad, I'm mad about it. So what held you back? Like, what was it that was a barrier to you questioning the world or imagining yourself with a woman at that time? I don't, I think I like, I would like, I don't know. I think in college I was like, oh, if anything ever happens, here we go. And it like didn't. <laughs> I would kind of go after the guys I felt that way about. Um, I don't know the age range in here, but I'm 35. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, I feel like I might. I feel like my age is the last, like, generation that could even like somehow go through their life as a, as a kid and in their 20s and not question their sexuality in that way. I, I, maybe I'm wrong and I'm like a fucking idiot, but I, I feel like it was just like, I truly, there were no out, there were, there were two out gay guys in my, my grade up until high school, no one else. It was like Will and Grace. Mm -hmm. That's it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm like, well, I'm not like, I'm not will or like, it just didn't make me like, I just, it, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I, it feels like a bizarre thing to kind of, I, I guess I was 32 and I, I was like, what the fuck have you been doing? Like, you're kind of just coasting. Um, and I also was like working a lot, I'm a, I write about that a lot, how I'm a workaholic, and I think that allowed me to kind of not focus on my personal life, so I don't, I don't know, but um, yeah, I wish that I had like, examined myself in that way. I, I think that younger, younger people now, in a great way, there's so much content that it's like, oh, yeah, that's me. Yeah. You yeah. know, I'm like, ugh, what a, and it also makes so much sense that why Alana and I, like, Alana is like the Sherpa into, <laughs> but she's also married to a guy. She's married to a blonde man. <laughs> but like in, in the best, like in the best, like they're like the queerest straight couple. Right. Or right. I don't even know if that would say that. They let right. them label themselves. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, there's a moment in the book when you describe kind of the like recognizing when you see this woman, someone you, that there was this recognition of oh, that's I I I think I'm attracted to this person. I have this feeling, but then there was also this beat of of hesitation. Um, you write about the fact that you had gained a lot of confidence, like with guys, that you would feel really comfortable. You had sort yeah. of a a really good um, line, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, yeah. pickup line. Still my pickup line. What, can you say? It's tell not me. a pickup line. It's hey. <laughs> Hey, I, you know, I think you're adorable, or you're like something of that nature. Like, do you want to get a drink? No pressure. That's it. Yeah. But truly, that like takes people. Like, yeah. Uh, it's like jarring to people mm -hmm. because it's also like I'm not in love with you. I just want to get a drink and get to know you better. I might not like you after, mm -hmm. but I was very much in the mindset of, yeah. So I that when I turned thirty. I was like, fuck this, I'm gonna like just ask 
any, at the time, as any guy out that I was interested in. And I did it, and I was like, okay, okay. And then I was, um, yeah, I write about it in the book. I was at this birthday party, and I was talking to this guy that I had just met. And I was like, okay, what are we talking about? Whatever, no. And then I was like, oh, I, would, I was kind of only seeing her in the, in the party. And then I went back up to my hotel room, and I was like, oh, if, if she was a guy, I would, like, text her immediately and ask her out, like, like all the other guys. And then I was like, what am I doing? Who cares? Like, it was really as simple as that. It was truly as simple as I completely wrote the character Abby to have in the show. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, it wasn't fully like me being like, I'm interested in women too and blah, blah, blah. It felt very specific to her at the moment, but um, it was just a very a simple thing of like, I'm, I feel this way about this person. Why would I not go after it? Um, and I did, like, I do feel like I kind of struggle with that a little bit because I feel bad that I didn't, like, I didn't, I didn't struggle with it, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Like, I feel bad that I, I came to that at a point in my life where I was like, I'm surrounded by queer people, I feel accepted, and this isn't something I'm, like, in any way ashamed of, and I, I do feel like I somehow, like, I don't know, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, yeah, 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 that it wasn't tortured. It wasn't tortured, and I, yeah, I, yeah. As it, I mean, I think I wish kind of, it wasn't. Yeah, for anybody. For anybody, yeah. but I, I feel very lucky that I, I don't know, that's my story, that's my version of it, but I, um, yeah, I didn't struggle with it my whole childhood and everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so then you have your big love with this person, um, and then it ends and you're devastated, and so you decide that you're gonna embark on this three-week road trip by yourself from New York to LA, mm -hmm. um, and that becomes this book. Yeah. So when you set out to go on this road trip, what were you hoping to get out of it? What were you hoping it would help you do in terms of getting over the relationship or reckoning with the relationship? Yeah, so I had been, we were shooting season four, basically right after I was broken up with. I wonder if you can see it. In <laughs> but it was like really crazy time mm -hmm. for me. Yeah. And, but also, thank God I was working on that because I was totally distracted and overwhelmed with the show and work and everything. And so it was starting, to, it was almost ending. Like we, we sit and edit the entire time and the edit was gonna be over and then I was like, like, what do I, I don't want to just be sitting in this still. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I need to go on a vacation, but I can't, there's no way I want to go and sit on a beach or I will be miserable. And so I was like, I'm going to sell a book. I'm going to write a book and then I'll get me out, you know, get me on the road. Like truly that's how crazy I was about working where I was like, the only way I'm going to take a vacation is if I like plan this trip because of the book, mm -hmm. and then I have to write about it after I get there. But like, I will have to go on this, mm -hmm. and like a crazy like it was manic. While we were editing, I would go and like pitch this book in the morning and at night to all these publishers, 
And I, like, I didn't, this is not how books are sold. Um, <laughs> it didn't even have like a full pitch. It was just, I just told them how I was feeling and how, <laughs> <laughs> in, a, in a planned, professional way, okay? I was just like, this is, this is, what this, I feel like this is a thing that people would relate to, mm -hmm. or like I'm devastated, but I'm doing, I'm living, I'm living like my dream, but I'm devastated at the same time, and I've never been in love with a woman or dated a woman at all, and now I'm all, you know, what the fuck's going on? And so I had to be in LA um, in three weeks, and I had a car in New York, and I was like, Fuck it. And I didn't know what it was going to be. Like, I didn't really know exactly what this book would be until I wrote the book um, from August when I got to LA to August. Hmm. And I took a lot of, you know, I wrote and I took a lot of pictures and everything while I was on the road and like wrote a lot of how I was feeling. And then I sort of figured it out yeah. afterward. Yeah. One of the one of the the big themes um, in the book as you as you're on the road trip is navigating the desire for independence with the you know with loneliness and um, you know you had made this deal with yourself when you turned thirty to try to live your life without needing anyone else um, and that was before the, you had the relationship where you then opened yourself up and got hurt. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's quite heartbreaking when you decide that you're going to stay at this B&B. It's this dream of yours to stay at this B&B. So um, you go to Asheville and it's full of couples having romantic, um, having like a romantic mm -hmm. um, getaway. Pretty obvious that that would be yeah. the, I don't know what I, I don't know what was going on. Yeah. Um, so can you talk a little bit about navigating the desire for independence and, and also the feelings of loneliness that came out during this, this trip? Yeah, I mean, I think it is exactly what you said. I think, I think if I'd taken the road trip, well, obviously before, before this relationship, the the sense of independence and loneliness that like kind of simultaneously existed in my life would have like ping pong back and forth still, but it was that I had opened myself up, so it was like I was very different. Mm. And I don't know. I, I think that that is not that's a thing that is still in my life right now. I'm a very very independent person, and with I don't know with that comes loneliness. I think. Um. <laughs> I yeah, I mean the bed and breakfast was just hilarious. What an idiot. <laughs> also, I, I don't I'm not a fan of bed and breakfast. It's like now I'm like I don't think I would go even if I was going with somebody. Yeah. It's a lot. There's a lot going on. You are right up on it's a lot, yeah. you know? There's no What privacy. was I doing? No. I, it, it, Asheville was the place for, for me to do it. There's like, there's truly like tons of them and tons of like verandas. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. That question is something that I continue to kind of struggle with because yeah. I don't know. There's this really terrific essay near the end of the book. Um, and it's this piece where you're kind of imagining all the scenarios in which you will 
bump into your ex again for the first time after the breakup. Mm -hmm. And it was so relatable. I feel like everyone has kind of gone through this process. Um, you know, you talk about like, what if you bumped into her when you were sweaty after a workout? What if you bump into her when you're in a bookstore and you're not holding like Rebecca Solnit collection, but you're holding like a Guy Fieri cookbook? Yep. <laughs> what if you had a bad haircut? Um, so it can, can happen at any moment. <laughs> exactly. So can you talk about some of the sort of the fears and imaginings that you had when it came to writing that, that essay? Yeah, you know, so the, that, that essay comes to, toward the end of the book. Mm -hmm. But actually when I was sitting down to write it, which writing a book about yourself is the hardest thing you can do. <laughs> it's just very scary. And I got, you know, I was writing a lot of it in L.A. I, or I was going back and forth still. And I was just like how to, I'm used to sharing so much of myself in a certain way on Broad City, and I, but I get to hide behind the Abrams of it all. Um, and she's also a very heightened version of me. And so I think, we've spent enough time together, you guys can tell, we're very different. Um, I'm, <laughs> but you know, there are differences. I, I really, she, I get to wear my emotions kind of on my sleeve and like bumble around a little bit as, as Abby on the show. But in this, this, I really intended to be more me. But that essay is written in, in this very stylized way. Uh, and it was actually the first essay I wrote hmm. in the whole book because it, I don't know, it, like when I, once I found it, it was so relieving to get to like play out all these scenarios, and some are re completely ridiculous. My favorite one is, <laughs> what if I, you know, decide to go on a trip and I want to go scuba diving, and I decide to take, decide to take this scuba diving lesson where you have to go into the pool and like I can do the whole thing and I get the thing, and I'm under the pool and what if she is it down there? She's taking scuba diving lessons too, and like we're down there. How could I explain that? Like I don't even have a trip plan. Like I, I, I don't know. Like how could I explain all that? And so. The, it just was like really fun and cathartic for me to like, because it is such a scary thing. I think everyone, whether you have this kind of a situation with an ex or like an ex best friend or like someone you grew up with, or there are these people out there living and you're like, any moment here, this could get fucked up and I'm not prepared. And so I was like, this is so... I don't know, it just felt good for me to write it and I felt like that would be good for other people, like so relatable. And you know, my mom read it and she was like, this is so great that she's so happy and you're so happy. And I was like, this is, no, no, no. Like, <laughs> and I, I think like some people didn't get the tone of it. Like I also read the book on an audiobook, and you really get the tone of it if you listen to that chapter. Some are more stylized, but yeah, I don't know. It's a tough, you got to kind of always be your best self, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> always be ready. It could, it could be happening to some of you right here. Hi. After we're yeah. done, someone yeah. might be here that you don't yeah. know is here. And listen, y'all yeah. look great. I know. I, Everyone's going to be really okay. Good. Their yeah. hair looks good. They Everyone's all look cute. Good. I know, it's true.
the Live Mike episode page, livemike.ca, you will find biographies of featured writers, guests, and hosts, as well as links to TPL's collections or other episode-related materials. For all of TPL's podcast series, go to tpl.ca slash podcasts. Toronto Public Library is one of the world's busiest urban public library systems. Every year, more than 20 million people visit our 100 branches in neighborhoods across the city and borrow more than 32 million items. Live Mike, Best of TPL Conversations, is produced by the Toronto Public Library. Episodes are produced by Natalie Curtis, Jorge Amigo, and me, Gregory McCormick. Technical support by Michelle DeMarco and George Paniotu. AV support by Jennifer Casper and Mesfin Baisisu. And marketing support by Tanya Oleksik. Music is by Worst Pop Band Ever, also known as WPBE. I'm Gregory McCormick, Manager of Cultural and Special Event Programming at Toronto Public Library. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for another episode of Live Mike, Best of TPL Conversations.